The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We are finally, finally in our study through the Gospel of Luke. We are in the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, We got there last Sunday for us uh, as we looked through the triumphal entry when Jesus hopped on the back of a young donkey and he marched the two miles from the east into Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives thousands of people praising him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We saw the scene and just how electric it was. The expectations and excitement of the people as they threw their cloaks on the ground in front of him, as they praised him, as they cut palm branches off the nearby trees and waved them and threw them on the road as well. We we saw that as Jesus was coming up over the Mount of Olives, he saw Jerusalem and right then kind of at the pinnacle of it, the Religious leaders, they come up to him and they tell him, you've got to shut this down. You cannot have people calling you the one, the king, the the promised Messiah. You can't have that happening because you're not him. And he goes, you need to stop. Even if they stop praising, these rocks will praise me because I am worthy of that. And it's at that moment, okay? It's at that moment as Jesus comes over the hill, everything, everything is at its apex It's not going to get any more excited than this. We see in our text today that Jesus does something very unexpected. He starts to cry. He starts to cry and and we don't understand for sure why, but we want to get into maybe some of the why. But those tears, they, they don't make a ton of sense at that moment. It should be jubilation. It should be incredible excitement. But instead, there's tears. Let's read about it in Luke 19, verse 41. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and all of its beauty and all of its grandeur. And he wept over it. He wept over it. He comes over the hill in this incredible moment and he starts to cry. Now, I would immediately think this is happy cry. This is a happy cry. If you've never experienced a happy cry, it's a little different than a cry cry. Happy cry is usually a moistening of the eyes. There's, there's kind of a almost smile or smirk on your face as, as you just are overwhelmed by something to the point that it, you have to emotionally respond. You, it, the tears come without you wanting them necessarily, but they're there because it is such a great moment. I, I happy cried at the birth of all three of my children. I, I didn't mean to. I didn't plan on it. It just happened. There was too much good happening right there. I I also, uh, just total transparency, anytime I see a video of a serviceman or woman coming back home and being reunited with their family, especially the surprise ones, it happens. It happens every time. I just, I love that they're home safe, that they they get to be with their loved ones again. I I can't help it. It just, it just happens. And so we're thinking maybe, maybe this is just a, he sees Jerusalem. The the moment is so big. He's just defeated the religious leaders and silenced them. And so he's just kind of caught up with this and it's happy tears. It's a good cry, but that's not at all what's happening. This is not a happy cry at this moment. In fact, The word there, he wept. The word wept means deep sobs. Deep sobs. This ain't a happy cry. This is an ugly cry. And and I hope you've never ugly cried, but for those of you who have, it's 
aptly named. An ugly cry is just the same. There's too much emotion. There's too much going on for it to be contained. And it's, it's snotty and it's ugly and it's uncontrolled and unbridled. It, it is not something you want to do very often because an ugly cry, that kind of cry, it comes from extreme suffering, immense emotional anguish. It oftentimes comes from loss. These are feelings that we don't want to experience and our body can't really process them. Our mind and our heart can't really take it all. So, so the ugly cry comes out and that's what Jesus is doing. So it really is out of place at this moment. There should be no ugly cry on this day. This is his moment of triumph. This is it. This is his big time moment. Yet Jesus wept bitterly. And it was absolutely an unexpected sight for his disciples. They were not expecting to see this. His friends following him, they're still celebrating and Jesus is ugly crying. What would cause this? What would cause Jesus to have such a sad response to seeing Jerusalem during such a joyous moment? What, what would possibly make him do this? Well, I think Jesus himself tells us. And the next few verses, I think he gives us clues as to why he's crying in that joyous moment. And, and here's three things that I see from his next few words. The first one, the first reason for Jesus crying in this moment, he really wanted peace for Jerusalem. He really wanted there to be a peace over this beautiful city that represents so much of what God has done and is going to do. He really wanted peace. Luke chapter 19, verse 42. And he said, if you, even you, and we're not sure if he's just saying this in general or if the religious leaders are still right there and he's kind of speaking to them, it would make sense because of that even you. If you, even you, you pious religious leader, you future murderer of me, you, if even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. If you'd only known that what I was doing was ushering in peace to your city, if you'd only known that, but you don't because now it is hidden from your eyes. You can't see it because you're blind. You're spiritually blind to what God is doing here. And you're not going to experience this peace, although I really, really, really wish you could. I really want peace for you but you're never going to experience it because it's been hidden from your eyes by your own arrogance, by your own fear. The central idea of this lament in verse 42 is peace. Jesus wants peace to be ushered into Jerusalem. Jesus knew that Jerusalem represents, as a town, it represents the people of God, the Israelites. That's what Jerusalem signifies. And he knows that Jerusalem is going to miss out on a great opportunity for peace when they reject him here in a few days. Yes, he's the son of God. He knows all things, but he's been saying for years now, this is exactly how it's going to go down. I'm going to come in. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. Now I'm going to conquer death. But he's known that's going to happen. And he knows that's what will take place here in just a few days. And he knows by them doing that, by them rejecting him, they're going to miss out on this peace Jerusalem was meant to be a city of peace. In fact, you may not know this, the name Jerusalem, the city name Jerusalem means city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means. 
city of peace. It's what it was supposed to be. It's the place where David and then Solomon, his son, finished the construction of the temple. The temple of God was located in the center of Jerusalem. The temple of God is where the presence of God resided, protecting the city. The people of Jerusalem could worship God in their own backyard. Not just that, but even strategically, Jerusalem was a very safe community. It was built on top of a hill with its own water supply. It was strategically almost impossible, impossible to overrun because they could wait out any army. It was a safe place. It was meant to be a place of peace. The psalmist encourages the people of God to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you, may those who love Jerusalem, be secure. May they have peace. We're to ask God for that. The city of peace was supposed to be a place of peace. But it's been anything but peaceful. For almost its entire history, the city of Jerusalem has been nothing but peaceful. Jesus is reminded of how just a few hundred years ago, the Babylonians came in and tore it to the ground, taking all of its inhabitants captive and back to Babylon. We, we know those stories. We know how after several generations, then Nehemiah was allowed to come back and rebuild it. But Nehemiah rebuilt the city then just for the Assyrians and the Greeks and now the Romans to come and to occupy it. The city has known no peace up until this point. And Jesus knows that had they just accepted him, that there could have been something different, but they weren't going to. And Jesus knows something else. He knows that in just 70 years, those Romans who occupy the city of Jerusalem now, they're going to lay siege to it, and they're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy it once again, all because the children of God fail to acknowledge the will of God and reject his son. All because of this, and I think it's for that reason, the desire that Jesus has for peace, knowing that they're going to miss this opportunity, I think that's one of the reasons why he weeps bitterly. That's why Jesus joins with the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and sobbing over Jerusalem in what should have been a joyous moment. The second reason that I think Jesus weeps over Jerusalem is he knew the destruction of Jerusalem that was to come. He knew what was going to happen here in 70 years. Luke chapter 19, verse 43. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. As Jesus rode and crested that hill, the Mount of Olives, as he came over that, he could see not only the present state, the beauty of Jerusalem, but he could also fast forward. He could fast forward 40 years from now, or 30, yeah, 40 years from now to 70 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem. It's completely accepted historically that this took place. And it's understandable why Jesus would weep at this point. Because under General Titus, the Roman general, who happened to also be the son of the emperor, he would lay siege to Jerusalem. And what happened in the subsequent months was horrific. As the people of Jerusalem withered away due to starvation, their water supply that was supposed to keep them going was tainted. And they refused to give up until finally they had to just forfeit the city. And the Romans came and they took it to the ground. There was one wall one wall of the temple of God, this beautiful monument, this house of the Lord. There was one wall that remained after the Romans were done. That wall still remains today. You can go to Jerusalem and see it. 
It's called the Wailing Wall for a reason. Because pilgrims from all over the world come to that wall and weep over the destruction of the temple. Jesus could see this coming. After all, he is God. And he knew that the rejection of himself by the people of Jerusalem would come with a punishment. He knew that was going to happen and the punishment would be the loss of their city. Why such a harsh punishment? That seems like a lot just for rejecting Jesus. Come on, are you, can you not handle that? But there's a much bigger thing happening here. God had given his people the law of Moses. He had sent prophets to try to warn them, hey, get it together. Get it figured out. Return your hearts back to God. Repent from your wicked and evil ways. You need to do this. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and they killed prophet after prophet after prophet. And then ultimately, Jerusalem, which represents God's people, they would reject his very own son. And at that point, enough was enough. The city of peace, it had to go. Their nation, it had to suffer as punishment for their wickedness, as punishment for their failure to receive the Son of God. There are consequences for their disobedience, specifically their failure to bear fruit. Jesus will speak a parable the next day, Monday, as he's walking back into Jerusalem. He'll see a fig tree that's not bearing fruit, and he'll curse that fig tree. And as they come back out the next day, the fig tree's gone, it's dead. And that's a testimony or a sign of exactly what will happen to those who do not bear fruit. They're, they're, they're having no purpose in the kingdom of God. And that's what his children are doing. They failed to acknowledge him. And Jesus himself in verse 44 says the same thing. Says, says the why for this punishment. Verse 44, Luke 19. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. If you read the King James Version, it says, you did not recognize the visitation. You didn't recognize that God had come to you, a rescuer, a savior, one who wanted to bring peace. You didn't recognize it. You didn't accept it. And because of that, there's consequences. When the Son of God came to his own people, the Jews, they refused to receive him. It was not that they were ignorant, for he had made them very clear who he was, but they deliberately refused to recognize him as their God. And for that, the consequences, the consequences that were to come, the consequences that Jesus knew far too well, those coming consequences caused him to weep and weep bitterly. Yes, in this moment, during the triumphal entry, they're all shouting Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting peace and glory to God. But in five days, many will shout crucify him. They don't truly believe in him. They're just excited. They're excited in the moment. But once that excitement wears off, and as we talked about last week, once some of their expectations aren't met, they'll change their minds about Jesus. And he knows it. He's prepared for it. But knowing it makes this moment all the more difficult. He can't just push that aside and be happy, cry happy tears at, at this procession into Jerusalem. He weeps because he knows what's to come this next week and what will come as a consequence of that 40 years from now. There's a third reason, though, 
There's a third reason why Jesus weeps on this day. And it's because he loves his children. These same children that will reject him, he still loves them. And because he loves them so much, it causes him great sadness to know what's about to happen. Jesus mentions children in verse 44. We just read that, but that's in the literal sense. It's talking about the literal children in Jerusalem who will have to suffer through this punishment. But in two days, Jesus will speak about this same topic again in much more detail. And he'll speak of the love that he has for his children. He'll speak of the love that he has for his creation, the children of God. It's recorded in most of the Gospels, but Matthew is what I'm going to read from now. Matthew 23, 37 through 38. So once again, this happens in a few days from Sunday, but it's talking about the same event, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children, the children of Jerusalem, the children of God. How often I have longed to gather the children of God together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And yet you were not willing. I wanted to show you love and protection and care. But you shunned it. You refused it. Can you see in this imagery just how deeply Jesus loves his people, how much Jesus loves you? He longed to gather his children like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings so they can find rest and peace, protection and comfort, so they will feel loved and secure. That's what God desires to do with his children. That's what he desires to do with you. And not only did he want to gather them together under his wings, he says he'd wanted to do it often. He'd sought to do this not just once, but again and again to bring them under his wings. But each time he offered, each time he extended his arms to bring his children in, each time he did that, they would not respond And so the tears that Jesus shed on this day for Jerusalem truly reveal his great love for his children. A love that never ceases to earnestly, to earnestly seek and care for those that he loves, to protect those that he loves, to save those that he loves, and he loves all of his children. He loves all of his children. Jesus wept for three reasons on this day. At least according to his own words. Three reasons that he wept. And I think it would be safe to assume that even seated at the right hand of God the Father today, in all of his majesty and power, there might be a few tears shed for the same reasons. There might be a few tears shed for the same reasons. For those who he offers peace, yet they refuse to accept it. For those of us who live in constant strife and conflict. For those who are afflicted and suffering. For those who believe that peace is something for others and not for them or for their family. I think for those people, Jesus may just still weep. 
He weeps for you because you're misguided and you're hurting and he knows it. And the answer is right in front of you. But you can't see it or you don't want to see it. He is the peace that comes in the hardship. He's right there. He's never offered you a perfect life, a carefree life. That's not what he offers. But he's offering to walk with you and to provide for you peace in all of your hardships, comfort in your time of need. He is peace. In the upper room on the last night of his life here on this earth, he makes sure his disciples know that he will not abandon them. And he will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to bring peace to them because it's not going to be easy. He makes sure they know that. He wants us to acknowledge him and receive his offer of peace. But for those who just shun it, for those who miss it, for those who are blind to it, I think even still today, Jesus might just weep. I think Jesus weeps today still for those who will be unnecessarily punished. I think he looks at those who will experience punishment because they refuse to believe and he weeps because it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus being the Lord God takes no delight in the eternal punishment of sinners who fail to repent and turn their lives to him. It's not like he sits up there and goes, ha, 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 I told you, this is what you get. No, he weeps for those who are punished unnecessarily because there could have been another way. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, Ezekiel, quoting the Lord, says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live and live. And then God exclaims in one word, turn, repent, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die People of Israel, why will you die, child of God? It's unnecessary. All you had to do was turn. All you had to do was accept me. I don't delight in this. It's the way it works. You needed a savior. You needed a rescuer. And I provided one in the form of my only son. I gave you all that you needed and all you had to do was accept him. All you had to do was turn from your evil ways, yet you chose not to. Jesus weeps for you, those who are distant, because he does not want you to perish. And Jesus weeps with those today who you're good. You've turned from your evil ways. You've accepted Jesus. He weeps with you for those that you know that haven't. And as you lift them up, as you pray for those who are still distant from God and who are hardened to God and who have refused God, he weeps with you as you weep for them. Yet he won't give up on them and neither should you. And finally, I think Jesus may still weep today for his children to come to him. For those who choose not to, as a parent, I couldn't imagine one of my children shunning my love the love that I try to give unconditionally to them. I couldn't imagine one of them saying, nah, nah, I don't want nothing to do with that. 
The hurt that that would bring would be so deep and so complete, I can't fathom it. But yet we have a perfect heavenly father who loves better than I ever could, who has extended that love to you and to all of his creation. And he desires nothing more than to gather his children underneath his wings to protect them and provide them peace and comfort and security. He desires nothing more than that. And yet there's some that every time he beckons, every time he calls, every time he extends his arms out, there's some that go, nah, no, not for me. Do not be the child. Do not be the child who exchanges God's perfect love for the love of this world. A love that will always fail you. A love that will always fall short. We have a Lord that weeps because he desires to pour out his affection on us. We have a God who weeps because he's willing to prove his love for us by laying down his own life, even while we were still sinners. We have a God who weeps because he has shown us true love. 1 John 3, 16, this is how you know what love is. This is how you know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know his love because of what he did. He wants to gather us under his loving arms and he weeps when we reject his loving offer. Church, on that Sunday, that triumphal entry day, a day marked with celebration by everyone else, Jesus wept. He wept because he will never be caught up in a moment of joy as long as there are those who do not accept his love. He'll never celebrate until all know his love and his mercy and his grace. He weeps for you because he loves you and he cares for you. He loves you enough to bring peace to your life. He will step into your mess. He loves you enough to bring peace into your life. He loves you enough to warn you of the punishment that awaits for those who reject him. He's not just going to spring that on you at the end. Oh, you should have known better. No, he's warning you going, please, please, please turn, turn now. And he loves you because you're his child made in his image. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less or make him love you more. He loves you unconditionally because he is God and you are his. He loves you enough to die for you. Today, Jesus will either weep or rejoice. And it's your decision that will determine his response. Will you embrace his peace? Will you heed his warning? Will you accept his love? And will you dry some of those tears? As his child who accepts his love as all that you need. Father, I pray today that those who do not know of their need for you, that you will open their eyes to what you offer, to what you bring, to the love that you have. I pray that your peace will cover over all those who are hurting. I pray that those who need to turn to you and repent from their evil ways and place their trust and their faith in you, I pray they will do so. And God, I pray that you will wrap your arms around those who are rebellious and seeking love in all the wrong places. God, show us your perfect love. You are so gracious and so kind. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. 
We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.